Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see all of you, and welcome to everybody joining us online, everybody in Bishopville, everybody at Pacala. Um, we, at the end of the sermon, are going to take the Lord's Supper. And so if you're watching online, you might want to take this opportunity just to slip out real quick and uh, get a cracker and some juice from the kitchen. If you don't have any juice, you can use water. Uh, if you don't have any crackers, uh, then something that represents the body of Christ. Uh, because we would really like for you to join uh, in this moment with us. Uh, so we're in this series entitled, Do You Believe? And we're seeking to answer this question. What must I believe to follow Jesus? Because there's a lot of different ideas about, out there about what you have to actually believe to follow Jesus. Um, and what we know is that your life moves in the direction of your strongest beliefs. Your life moves in the direction of your strongest beliefs. Now think with me about this. If I believe uh, that uh, you don't love me, am I going to want to lean towards you or away from you? Okay, I know some of you are thinking, well, you're a pastor, you've got to lean toward me. But the truth is, a natural human reaction would be, if I think you don't like me or you don't love me, I would naturally lean away. But if I think you like me or if I think you love me, what would I do? I would lean towards you. You see, your life is moving in the direction of your strongest beliefs, and that's why what you believe matters. So we're trying to answer the question, what do you have to believe so your life moves in the direction of Jesus? And we're focusing on the sermon uh, that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. It was the very first sermon that was ever preached about Jesus. It's a sermon preached by Peter, uh, Jesus' disciple, his good friend. And in that sermon, he makes five bold statements about what you must believe about Jesus. And we talked about the first one last week, how Jesus was sent by God, and the proof is his miracles, the signs that he did, and the wonders that he performed. So today we're going to move to the second essential belief that you must have about Jesus. And we're going to find this in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. And if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So let's unpack this verse. And to really understand it, we have to start with a very fundamental idea or reality about God, and that is God is omniscient. What does it mean to be omniscient? It means God knows everything that can be known. God knows everything that can be known. So everything that you have ever thought, everything you are thinking right now, and everything that you will ever think throughout the rest of your life, God already knows. And he knows that for every person who ever lived. And he knows that about the entire universe. You know all those things that the new telescope is discovering and we see the pictures? None of those are catching God by surprise going, I completely forgot I made that. God knows everything there is to know, which means before he ever created the universe, before he ever said, let there be light, God knew human beings would break his creation. Now, if you knew your child was going to break a toy as soon as they got it, would you buy it? The answer is yes, if you were a grandparent. 
But most of us would actually say, no, 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 I'm not going to buy it because I know they'll break it. I'll get them something else. But God loves you so much, he wanted to give you a chance at life. So he went ahead and made this world knowing that human beings would go ahead and break it. And the price of putting the world right would be his son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus would have to come to this earth and would have to die. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this was the plan. Remember, three times he told his disciples, I'm going to die. And then I'm going to rise again. And this is God's plan. Uh, Remember, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, he actually said this. He said, at that time, uh, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Three times Jesus shares this with his disciples. Now, Jesus did not have a death wish. He knew this was God's plan. He knew this was his purpose in life. Now, the question sometimes arises, well, then did God make the chief priests and the elders betray Jesus? Did God make Judas betray Jesus? Did God make Pilate sentence Jesus to death? And the answer is no. Did God use the wicked acts of people to bring about good? Yes. That's what God does. He takes what is wicked and sinful and he brings good. This is the amazing ability of God. Now, the second part of Acts 2.23, real important, says this, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, think of what Peter is doing. He's standing on a stone in the temple He's looking out at this crowd, seven, eight, ten thousand people. We don't know how many. And he's preaching this. And he says, you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. This is in your face preaching. Because Peter knew that many of the people in that crowd had seen Jesus die. He knew some of them had been in the crowd crowd that said, crucify him, crucify him. He knew that they had seen the mighty things that happened when Jesus died, the darkness on the face of the earth. They'd seen the, the Holy of Holies curtain torn from top to bottom. This was no secret. Now, even today, there are people who deny that Jesus did miracles. They deny that Jesus rose from the dead. But no reputable scholar denies that Jesus died on the cross. Everybody admits that. It's historical fact. Peter says this happens because of lawless men. Literally, the translation says wicked men, but lawless men was the term that Jews used to describe the Romans. So Peter is saying, look, you got with people you despised and you conspired with them to put Jesus to death. So this now becomes the second essential belief if you're a Christian. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, you must believe it was God's plan for Jesus to die on the cross. That's a core belief. This is a picture 
of Martin and Gracia Burnham. They were New Tribes missionaries in the Philippines. They um, uh, were taken captive by a Muslim extremist group. And uh, they were held hostage for over a year. In the wake of 9-11, pressure mounted on the uh, Philippine government to mount a rescue attempt of these two American hostages, missionaries. And so the Filipino commandos were sent in and a firefight broke out between the radical Islamist group and the uh, Filipino commandos. Now in the process of that, um, Gracia was wounded in the leg and she fell. And then her husband Martin was fatally wounded and fell on top of her. When the radical Islamists realized that they were losing, they decided to kill all the hostages. And so they went through shooting them. And when they came to Martin and Gracia, they realized Martin was already dead. And they assumed that Gracia was dead because her husband was covering her with his body. Eventually, the commandos take control of the situation, and Gracia is rescued. She returns home to her children in Kansas, and this is what she told them. It was gut-wrenching. But I saw your father's death as part of God's plan. It's probably God's will for Martin to have died and covered me so I would live. That is exactly what the death of Jesus means. That he covered us with his death so that we could live. Now you may say, okay, but why? Why does it have to be this way? Why couldn't God have done something different? Well, if you go on in the New Testament to the book of Romans, just over a few pages, chapter three, Paul is going to explain to us why God chose this way for us to be forgiven for our sins. So Romans chapter three, verses 25 and 26. Uh, I wanna read the whole passage and then we'll go through it phrase by phrase. Uh, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus." Now, that, that's a lot in just a few words, very dense, so let's unpack it. Paul starts by saying, God presented Christ. This is God presenting Jesus as an offering. Now, we're, we are not a culture that presents offerings. We don't, we don't kill an animal and burn it as a sacrifice to God. So we have to look back into the Old Testament and go, well, what did this mean? And in the Old Testament, there was something called 
the day of atonement. And this is what Paul's referring to as the verse goes on when he says there was a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. So once a year, the chief priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And before he went in, he would offer a sacrifice for his own sins. And there would be two goats. One goat would be set free and would run out into the wilderness. And he would carry the sins of the people away. And by the way, that's where we get the idea of scapegoat. You learn something by coming to church today, right? Okay. And then the other goat would also be sacrificed. Then Aaron, or the chief priest, would enter the Holy of Holies where there would be the Ark of the Covenant. You've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, and if you remember, there's actually this mercy seat that sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant. It was thought to be the place where God shows his mercy. In fact, these were the instructions in Leviticus 16, verse 13. He, that is Aaron or the chief priest, is to put incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so he will not die. This is important. Let me pause right here. The the work of atonement is so holy that it needed to be covered by this incense, by this smoke. It's just a reminder that what God does when he atones for our sins is holy work. It's not something casual. And then, and then, Leviticus goes on and says, he, that is the chief priest, is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. What is this, what is this all about? Remember, in the Bible, sin equals death. That's what it means when it says you're dead in sins because we've all sinned. Therefore, we all have this death process working in our souls. The only way to overcome death is life. And in the ancient world, blood was the equivalent of life. So the blood of an animal was sprinkled as a sign that it would take life to overcome death. It would take blood to overcome sin. And now, this starts to make sense. Jesus is the one perfect sacrifice, the one who never sinned. And his death, the shedding of his blood, covers our sins. So let's let's paint a picture. Let's imagine that this stool represents your sin. Now, the truth is, we don't have a big enough stool to, reckon, to actually represent your sin, right? I mean, that would be a really big stool. But we're just going to say, okay, right now, this is going to represent all of your sin. When we sin, many of us feel guilty. That is a gift from God because that reminds us that we've done something wrong and we need to be right with God. But many of us also then are triggered by shame. And we're ashamed about our sin. And so we try to cover it up. And so how do we cover it up? If you grew up in church, you may somehow have gotten the idea, the best way to cover up your sin is to do good. 
And we think, if I do enough good, I will cover up my sin. Doesn't work, does it? No, because you can't do enough good. Because remember, we, we all have messed up. There's not enough good we can do to offset our mess up. Now let me tell you something else that we do to, to try to hide the reality of our sin and our shame. We try to blame other people. And so, have you ever met these people who've never done any wrong? Yeah, whatever's wrong in our relationship is your fault. Or whatever's wrong in this company is your fault. Never mind that I'm taking three-hour naps every afternoon. It's your fault. Okay. But you know what? Trying to deflect the blame onto other people, it also doesn't cover up your sin. Let me tell you something else that we try to do. We just try to deny that it's there. And this happens when you hear people say something like, well, I'm not, I'm not such a bad guy. Or, or we do this way. Well, I know I'm no saint, but let me tell you about Bob. Right? We're trying to deflect. We have all these ways of trying to hide the fact that we're not perfect and we want to present to the world that we have everything put together in our lives and it doesn't work. Because you can still see the sin, can't you? You can still see it. And if you think you're fooling anybody, you're only fooling yourself. Everybody else can see your flaws. And if you don't believe this, today, talk to someone that you know and that loves you and ask them if you have any flaws and just see if they have anything to share. Now, when I do this, when I've said this in every service, every married couple has looked at each other and said, we're not having that conversation today. No. We need something bigger to cover our sins. What if there was one pure person who never sinned? One pure person who had all the power of God and all the love of God and all the grace of God. And what if that person's purity was so great that he could cover all of our sin? And that person's name is Jesus. That's what atonement means. It means God's no longer looking at this sin. God instead is looking at the purity of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have invited him into your life, you've asked him to forgive your sins, then your heavenly father no longer just looks at you, he looks at you through the lens of Jesus's grace. Oh friends, that's good news. Because you can't fool God. And our Heavenly Father says, I want you to have this grace. I want you to be covered with my love. I want you, I want you to be my child and sin not to get in the way. There is a, a song that we sing around here that has the line, how high and how deep, how wide, how long, how great is your love, O oh God. Now Paul wants us to know this is an essential belief. And so he actually goes on and he says, this is to be received by faith. Now let me tell you where a lot of us get this wrong. A lot of us get this wrong when we think, okay, 
I need to have faith, and so I invite Jesus into my life, and now I'm saved, and now I'm done. Okay, that's the first step of faith. But there are other steps. There's a daily step. I mean, would it make any sense to live your life First, receiving this amazing grace covering of Jesus and then saying, but you know, Jesus, I think I will do the rest of it on my own. I think I'll just, you know, thanks for that grace. I'm going to heaven. Thank you very much. Now I'm just going to spend the rest of my life trying to cover up my shame and my sin by myself. Does that make any sense at all? Why would you trade a comforter for a handkerchief? What if, what if daily you lived in faith and grace and said, okay, God, I'm going to live today knowing that I'm not going to get it right, but knowing that you love me and knowing there's grace for me. Would your life be filled with more love? Would your life be filled with more grace? Would you feel less anxious about life? Would you feel more peace? More joy? You know, not too long ago, I had a conversation with a guy, and he said, my goal in life is not to sin. And and I I thank God that I did not say what I wanted to say, which was, how are you doing with that? Instead, I said, I said, well, I don't think that's really what Jesus wants. Jesus says, follow me. You see, and if I follow Jesus, sin will lose its attractiveness. The desire will go away. You know, just trying to focus on not sinning doesn't work, and I'll prove it to you. Right now, I want everybody to understand, if you think about chocolate cake, it's a sin. Okay, I heard an amen. But you know what you all just did? You just thought about chocolate cake. In fact, some of you are now waiting for the sermon to end so you can go get chocolate cake. But I have nine more points. I'm kidding, 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 kidding. Okay, so here's the thing. Just trying to avoid sin doesn't work. That's why God wants you to be covered, atoned for by his love and grace. Paul goes on and he says, he did this, in other words, God did this, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Okay, so whenever you see that phrase righteousness and it's attached to God in the Bible, what it means is that God always does the right thing. He always does the right thing. And so because God always does the right thing, he is patience. There is forbearance. And he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. What what does that mean? It means, when you read the Old Testament, that God did not punish people right away for their sins. It meant he was patient. It meant that he warned them. He said, don't go down this route. This leads to destruction. This leads to death. I'm going to provide a way out for you. I'm going to provide forgiveness for you. And did people listen? Do people listen today? Let me tell you how important this is. God is still that patient. What if, what if everyone was struck dead by God the first time they sinned? There would be no people. 
Because best I can tell, sin starts around age two. True? God is patient. And, and this tells us something about the grace of God because people will sometimes say, God's not fair. Why would, why would a loving God send people to hell? And we miss the point. God has every right to do with his creation whatever he wants, but God in his mercy says, no, I'm gonna provide a way out. But there are people who say, I don't wanna do life with God. I don't wanna do life God's way. I don't want God to be my companion. I would rather live life on my own terms. In fact, I'd rather deal with my flaws, my flaws, my flaws and thoughts on my own. It doesn't work. And so God says, out of his mercy, okay, I'll prepare a place for you. It's not a very happy place. And I will send you there. And yes, the Bible speaks about God's wrath, but you understand that. You understand that because if you see someone you love making a bad choice or bad decisions or wrecking their life, doesn't it make you mad? And when God sees people not choosing his way, it angers him. It angers him because he loves us. Now beyond this, because God is patient and because he always does the right thing, I believe that every person who has ever lived has an opportunity to know God's love. I don't know exactly how this works, but I, I heard a story about um, in the 1840s when the great missionary movement is spreading across the globe. The missionaries went to this Pacific island in the South Seas and and they met the islanders, they learned their language, and they began to tell them about our Heavenly Father, and they began to tell them about Jesus. And, and the islanders' response was this. They said, oh, that's his name. We did not know. We knew there was a God who loved us and wanted good for us, but until now, we've never heard his name. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't need to send missionaries. Of course we do to reveal everything we know about God. But God has a way of letting people know there are thousands of stories coming from the Arab world over the last 10, 15 years about people who have a dream about Jesus. And he is saying to them in the dream, come and follow me. God has a way of letting people know they are loved if they will simply listen. Now, we need to remember that this teaches us as well that Jesus didn't just die for your sins or my sins. He died for the sins that had ever been committed, are being committed, and ever will be committed. Jesus died for all the sins of the Roman Empire. He died for all the sins of Genghis Khan. He died for all the sins committed in the Holocaust. Jesus died for all the sins in the Rwandan genocide, and Jesus died for the sins that are being committed right now in the Ukrainian war, and Jesus died for the sins that are being committed right now in this room, and right now with everybody who's watching online, and you say, people in this room are sinning right now? Yes. And how are you sinning? I don't know, and don't really want to know. I just know that we are far more broken than we ever admit. And he died for all of us. 
So Paul is going to finish off his thought with this last phrase in verse 26. He says, he did this, or he did, this is God, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness. Remember, the right thing. God demonstrated that he does the right thing at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now this this phrase, he is just and he justifies. Again, we go back to this. God does not live in a fantasy land. He does not ignore our brokenness. He does not ignore our sin. I mean, God doesn't spend his time going, I bet the people back there, they're just really living good and they're doing a good job at life. No, God deals in reality. And because God does the right thing, that means he's just. That means he sees reality and he understands the consequences of your reality and my reality and the consequences of our sin. And so God in his mercy then justifies us. He puts us right with his grace. Now, those are a lot of big theological concepts. And you may be asking, so what? You know, most of you who are watching this, many of you in the room in Pacala and Bishopville, you are thinking, well, okay, I, I get that. I actually believe in Jesus, and I believe he died on a cross for my sins. How is that changing how you're living today? How is that changing how you're living today? At the very least, wouldn't it make you live a grateful life? Wouldn't it make you want to actually pause and say, God, I I can't believe how good you are to me that you would love me and forgive me. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe for the first time some things have connected and you realize, this is the deal? I get to actually follow Jesus and be loved like I've never been loved before and know that all of my sins are paid for. I want to sign up. And today you can invite Jesus into your life. You can ask him to forgive your sins. And you can say, I want to follow you. And let him begin to change your heart. And that's why we're celebrating the Lord's Supper today. Because we need to come and remember his sacrifice. We live such busy lives. We live in such a hurried fashion. Are we actually making room to remember and to say thank you? That's what we want to do. So right now, if you're watching online, uh, how about getting that cracker and that juice? If you are at Bacala or Bishopville or here at Loring Mill, uh, how about getting this little cup, and if you didn't get one, if you would just make yourself conspicuous for a moment and raise your hand, uh, we have deacons who are going to give you a cup if you didn't get one. Uh, just raise your hand. Got one right over here, Stan. A couple more right there. Uh, you see them, Terry? And on back in there. And I want you just to think with me for a minute before we even start opening anything up. Just how amazing it is that the God who made the universe, who said, let there be light, knew your name. 
and would have sent his son Jesus to die if you were the only person on earth. So would you peel back that top layer where you have the little piece of bread? Would you just pull it out? Would you just hold that little wafer in your hand and, and just remember that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. Will you remember that God knew that in this perfect creation of his, it would be wrecked by your sins and my sins. And still, he made us. And at the cost of the pain of the cross, at the cost of his son's life, God said, I want them to have a chance to live and be loved and experience my love and grace. Will you remember how much God loves you? His body was broken for you as you take and eat. Now, if you'll turn that over and peel back the, the piece, the, the lid there for the juice. Later in the meal, Jesus took the cup and he filled it with wine and he passed it among his disciples and he told them, this is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Jesus wants you to remember. He wants you to remember that his blood covers your sins all the way from the time of your very first sin that you can't even remember when your mama told you not to do something and you looked at her and said no. And he covers the sins that you committed last night and this morning and those ungracious thoughts. And he covers the sins of nations and he covers the sins of leaders. And he says there's grace and there's love vast enough for you all because my love stretches to the very edge of the universe and beyond. What great, great love the Father has for us. Will you remember the love of Jesus in your heavenly Father as you take and drink? this week remember how profoundly we are loved by our Heavenly Father that Jesus would die for us. And if you've never embraced that love, would you do it today? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the deep love of Jesus. I pray, God, I pray that, that your love would penetrate every heart and that we would not lose it so quickly not lose it even in the conversations and the tasks that remain for us today, but we would live in your grace every day, knowing that you cover us, you atone for us. Speak to those who've not yet accepted Jesus. May they take that next step today. In Jesus' name I pray.